Welcome in. It is 10,000 Pitches, a podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer. My name is Jeremy Rushing. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please, please, please hit that subscribe button, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever your preferred podcast platform is. That would be awesome if you would hit that subscribe button. Also, leave a rating and review if that's available on your preferred platform. And as always, you can follow us Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at 10K Pitches. That is 10K pitches today a big show we'll be talking to Duluth FC general manager Tim Sass here in just a little bit about kind of what their offseason has looked like from a lower league standpoint and how the ENPSL has kind of given them a little bit of a boost and given them something to look at uh, so we will talk to Tim here in a little bit but first I have the pleasure to be joined by e pluribus lunum and mls.com Minnesota United contributor Jacob Schneider Jacob thank you so much for taking the time man yeah, happy to be here. Happy to be able to talk about a little bit of Loons coverage for you. And yeah. hopefully we see some soccer in a couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, fingers crossed. You know, it seems yeah. like just as we get to a point where we're getting excited about sports, something happens and maybe we take a little bit of a step back. You know, speaking of that, we have the NWSL tournament, the Challenge Cup coming up starting tomorrow, actually, Saturday. Yeah. And uh, we already have one team that had to completely remove themselves from the tournament because they had six positive COVID-19 tests. That's the Orlando Pride. Uh, and then you look at teams like Atlanta United, Inter Miami, and Colorado, teams with announced, confirmed COVID-19 tests. Now, teams are not required to disclose that they have uh, confirmed cases. So these are just the ones that we know about to this point. But three teams, and then Atlanta United, I believe, has two positive tests. So what concern, I guess, to start off, Jacob, what concern does that give you uh, that this tournament will actually go off the way that we, you know, the way that we hope it will? Well, I think one of the big things you mentioned, um, we have the NWSL tournament starting. We look at that, and that is kind of a primer for the MLS tournament. You're going to look at that, and you're going to say, how do players react to kind of being in their own little bubble? How does the mentality of each team hold up? Are you still able to perform the best on the field, even though, you know, you're not at your home stadium, you're not at an away stadium, really, either. You're all in one certain area, and you kind of feel compressed whether or not that affects your mentality going into a game, whether or not that makes you feel ready to be able to perform on the pitch. Because you hear that one team is dropping out due to COVID. Then you hear there's players staying back that don't want to go travel to the tournament, like Tobin Heath. I mean, Tobin Heath is a name that every U.S. women's national team and women's soccer fan knows. Mm -hmm. Tobin Heath is a fantastic player, someone I was looking forward to watch. But when I saw that she elected to not participate in the tournament, I was like, Good for you. You know, that's a big decision to make. I can only understand how tough it would be. And then with uh, Orlando dropping out, you don't see a player like Marta. And Marta is on the world stage known in women's soccer. Mm -hmm. So you see players dropping out. You see one team dropping out. What's going to happen? So I think the NWSL tournament is going to be a primer for MLS. But from an MLS standpoint, it's really going to, you're really going to see over the next two weeks what kind of cases develop. Is there any, is there going to be any contamination in this bubble? The San Jose Earthquakes arrived this morning in Florida, and they're the first team in the tournament to arrive. So we'll see. Maybe we hear some news from their PR people. Maybe we hear some news from Commissioner Garber, whoever it is. Whatever's going to happen, we'll wait and see. But I think at this point, you have to look at it and say player safety over the value of the game. If it's not safe in Florida, then why are we traveling to Florida? Mm -hmm. At this point, I saw a report yesterday. It came from uh, Kevin Baxter of the LA Times. He was posted on Twitter. Florida had over 5,500 new cases on Tuesday yeah. of COVID-19. And that number is baffling. Astronomical. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So seeing 5,500 cases in one state and you are sending, I don't know the exact number, but let's say three to 500 people, including staff and players mm-hmm. to a tournament and you're putting them in a bubble. You know, you say it's going to be contamination free. They're going to have people living there, like the, the staff members, everyone's going to be there. But man, that's scary to think about. Mm-hmm. You're looking at it and you're like, what if one person gets infected and that person touches a doorknob? The next person goes up and touches that same doorknob. That's two people. Mm-hmm. From there on, it could, it could spread rapidly. And when talking about the bubble, I'm sure these teams have a schedule in terms of when they expect to be in the bubble. But if you're a squad now and you're away from Florida and you're in Minnesota, an area where it's, it's more or less, you know, these cases are, are growing breadcrumbs compared to what we're seeing in a place like Florida. You got to think, you got to weigh the decision of, do I get in the bubble early? to get into the quarantine early or do I stay here as long as I possibly can to make sure none of my players get infected before we even, you know, travel. It's, it's a, it's a big decision to weigh for these squads. And then if you see the teams get in the bubble early, who start to develop cases, do you make the decision then to say, okay, maybe we don't participate in this. Maybe, maybe the cons outweigh the pros in this, in that scenario. So the whole concept here is if you develop COVID-19, you're uh, a 14 day solo quarantine. It is, it's, it's, that's just the, the widely regarded rule around the world right now, 14-day quarantine. The San Jose earthquakes arrived today. Let's say somebody develops COVID-19 tomorrow and they have to solo isolate for 14 days, but no one else on the team has to self-isolate because there's no other positive cases. Those 14 days will lead you exactly until the tournament starts on July 8th. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's, maybe that's their thought process. They get there early. You know, if there is a positive test, the 14-day quarantine might be up before they have to play, or maybe they only miss one game instead of two or three. Mm-hmm. But there's also the standpoint you were just talking about. Let's say the LA Galaxy don't want to arrive for another week because they want to see how the first uh, the first week of the first week goes in Orlando for some of the teams like the Earthquakes. Maybe they don't want to go up after they see multiple multiple cases, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's going to be a touchy subject. It's going to be these next two weeks are going to be. incredibly influential in the MLS season whether or not the tournament goes on because if the tournament does not go on what do we see for the rest of the season Garber wants to see MLS played in stadiums still he wants teams to be able to play in their home stadiums this fall but I don't know it's just it's tough to see what's going to happen we've never had something like this happen but when something like this does happen from my personal view you have to view the safety of the players the people the personnel over the value of the game no matter how much we love it and from an on-field standpoint, you got to look at this tournament's already going to be starved of major talent. You know, Joseph Martinez, not going to be there, obviously. Carlos yep. Vela, his wife's pregnant. He hasn't announced he's not going, but he's not going. So mm-hmm. you're talking about the top two names, arguably, in the league already not being at this tournament. If you have, you know, one, two, three more big names who decide that they don't want to participate, you know, that in itself could be a huge blow to the league when it comes to the, the viewership that this tournament is going to get. Yeah, and those those are two massive names in MLS. Vela, especially, he's got the – Vela's not around the world. He was linked to Barcelona last year. You know, people are like, who is this guy? MLS fans are like, oh, just wait and see. You'll, you'll see that left foot, you know. But then we've got a few new names in MLS this year that are that are a little bit above average. We've got Alan Pulido, um, Luis Nani returning. We've got the uh, the likes of Chicharito as well. Yep, exactly. And Chicharito is, is probably the biggest name in MLS right now, in my opinion. Yep. I look at Chicharito and I say – Real Madrid, Manchester United, yep. LA Galaxy. You got the biggest team in the USA, the 
one of the biggest teams in England, one of the biggest teams in Spain, and he's got his name on all back of three, those three jerseys. People know who he is, and they're expecting numbers. So this tournament could be Chicharito's tournament. We'll see. We'll wait and see what the Galaxy end up doing. We'll wait and see what he ends up doing. But if he does end up playing, he could be the star factor of the tournament without Absolutely. the likes of Joseph Martinez and Carlos Vela. Absolutely. All right, now switching gears and talking about Minnesota United's uh, group and how they could potentially fare in this tournament. How are you feeling about this group? In my opinion, Group D is the most well-rounded group. When you're talking about Group D versus Group F, Group of Death, I think Group F having three of the top five teams, arguably in the West, it's hard to argue against that being the Group of Death. But when you go one to four, Group D, in my opinion, top to bottom, is going to be the most competitive group, in my opinion, in this tournament. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right now. The Colorado Rapids are my, my dark horse to win the MLS's back tournament. Exact same. Exact same. The Colorado Rapids are an incredibly exciting team. I absolutely love Andre Shinyashiki. I think he is going to be one of the top uh, attackers because he, he's played striker. He's played wing. He's, play, he's even played attacking midfielder once or twice. So I'm just going to say attacker. He's going to be one of the best attackers in MLS for the next 10 years if he doesn't earn a big money move outside of the country. And I look at the Colorado Rapids and I say young, I say hungry, and mm -hmm. I say they are ready to pounce at any opportunity that's given. If you leave an open back post in the 89th minute and somebody is there, they're going to capitalize. Mm -hmm. They're one of the few teams in MLS that I can genuinely say I don't want to miss a ma match of watching them playing because of the fact that they're so exciting every single time. Even when they lose, there's little little factors here and there that just get you excited as a soccer fan, whether it's a small touch, whether it's a nutmeg whether it's just the littlest thing, a tiki-taka down the right-hand side, an overlap, whatever it is, they are exciting to watch. And you look at them and you think, you know what, if there's a team that's going to upset some big names, it's going to be them. Yeah, I, Minnesota are going to struggle. Yeah, to your point, I think Colorado is primed. They have so much going for them. The way they finished last year, uh, mm -hmm. the, way they start, the way they've started this season, the fact that they were actually one of the first squads to get back to full-team practice – Mm -hmm. When you're talking about Colorado as opposed to Real Salt Lake or Minnesota, who people believe are the other two teams that could, you know, make it out of this group, they have a full week on those two teams when it comes to getting back to full team training. And I think that could play a major factor too. So when you factor all that stuff together, I, I think Colorado, like you said, I think they not only are a dark horse to win this whole thing, but I think they, they're, they're my pick to, to win the group. I think they get eight, nine points out of this group and earn that automatic slot. I forget who it was. One of the MLS.com analysts had Minnesota United as another dark horse to win the entire tournament. And I can agree with that. But there's one thing about Minnesota that keeps me from saying they have the chance to win it all. We have one of the best defenses in the league. I think Chase Gasper is, an, is a U.S. men's national team level player for the mm -hmm. next 10 years. I Absolutely. think he's going to be competing for a starting fullback spot. Hassani Dotson, he'll get there in the next year or two. He'll be starting, I bet. Maybe he's got some tough competition ahead of him in that midfield with McKinney and Adams, but he'll break in there and maybe he'll even break in at fullback. You never know what's mm -hmm. going to happen. But um, I look at Minnesota United and I say, who is the player that's going to step up in the attack? Luis Amaria had a good preseason, had a good first start to his two games. You know, if he steps up, that's fantastic. I, I don't know though. Mason Toy, inconsistency last year, but bright moments a lot of the time. Yeah. We know virtually nothing about Schoenfeld. His stats were not great out in the Middle East. And frankly, our wingers don't produce a whole lot. They produce assists, but not goals. So you look at Kevin Molino, you look at Ethan Finley. Um, 
we know nothing about Chacon. Let's be honest. We know nothing mm. about the kid. I've watched him in training a few times, and I've, I'm not going to lie, I've been underwhelmed a lot by what I've seen, whether it's nerves, whether it's him feeling that there's so much pressure on him from social media and fans saying, where's Chacon? Where is he? What are we going to see? Yep. Last fall, we virtually saw nothing of him, even though we signed him as a young DP. Mm-hmm. So who is going to step up? Who is going to be the player in that attack that says, I'm going to take the lead here? Whether it's a veteran like Ethan Finley, whether it's a newcomer like Luis Amaria, whether it's a kid, a young kid like Mason Toy, somebody needs to step up and say, this is what we need to do. We need to do this right now. And we have to get it done. I think two names you mentioned uh, could provide some real bright spots for this team in the attack. Kevin Molino and Ethan Finley, both coming off two really good performances in the early going. I know momentum won't be much of a factor, but just from a mental standpoint, having those two performances under their belt in this season could really, I believe, provide a boost. You know, they showed against both Portland and San Jose that not only individually do they still have the quality, but they worked really well together. So I believe that could play a major factor. I think Amaria, personally, I think he's the real deal as a striker. And I think he could be one of those guys, as you mentioned, you know, Colorado being a, a breakout team. I think Amaria could really be a breakout uh, individual performer in this tournament. Too. Sure. But like you said, this is a team that's probably going to have to lead from the back. But I'm also really encouraged by the pieces that Adrian Heath brought in and how they fit into this condensed style tournament scenario. When you're talking about guys like Raheem Edwards, who can play pretty much the entire left side of the field. You know, that's going to be big if you're when you have five subs at your disposal when when you're talking about Adrian Heath and you are going against squads who may not have those type of players, you know, being able to plug him in in a midfield spot and and a a wing back spot, you know, could be really beneficial for this team because I think counterattacking football is going to be the style that wins the day in the MLS's back tournament, you know, catching either tired players on the opposition or catching. Uh, less than quality, you know, bench players from teams who may not have that depth that Minnesota United, I believe, possesses. Um, sure. I think guys like Raheem Edwards coming off the back. You already mentioned Hassani Dotson. This is a guy who he can play fullback, he can play defensive midfield, but he also showed so many times last year that he has quality in the attacking third as well. So yeah. I think I think that you know those two players specifically could provide some real quality in the latter minutes of these matches, where I think it's going to be even more important who's on the field from minute 75 to the end of the match than what you have in that first 15, 20 minutes. There's three names you haven't mentioned though, that I want to touch on. Um, first is going to be Tyler Miller. Mm-hmm. What do we expect from Tyler Miller? Vito Manone, we lost him. He was the MLS goalkeeper of the season last year. Somehow um, we'll save that for another time though. I don't think Vito deserved that nomination one bit, but he's a fantastic person and I love interviewing him. He's mm-hmm. just a joy. Um, but Tyler Miller is somebody we brought in. We got him on the relatively low. I thought it was a pretty cheap deal we brought him in on. Mm-hmm. And you know what? He's someone with U.S. men's national team experience. He's somebody who learned from Stefan Fry, who I personally think has been one of the most solid and consistent goalkeepers in MLS over the past few years. Mm-hmm. And now he had the opportunity to start under Bob Bradley and the leadership of the LAFC team. Lots of, lots of fantastic players on that squad. And in training, he was facing shots from the likes of Carlos Vela. You know, you learn a lot from that. And now he's with yeah. Minnesota. It's going to be a big test for him. Can he, can he stay fit? Can he have the agility and reactions that he did have with LAFC? Because mm-hmm. during quarantine, that's, that's tough to be able to focus on that type of thing. Yeah. As a former uh, JV goalkeeper in high school, I totally <laughs> understand. Of course. You know? It's the exact same thing. Thank you. Somebody else gets it. I, I love that. No. Um, <laughs> Another name, though, I want to touch on is Romain Metnair. Yep. Um, 
Romain is probably one of the most least spoken about players on Minnesota United, yet he's one of the most important. Romain is quiet. He does his thing, and he gets the job done. He even was an MLS All-Star last year. However, people don't talk about him as much, and you got to wonder why, whether it's because of the fact that we have young guns like Kasani Dotson and Chase Gasper, or whether it's just he's just a quiet person in general, which he is. He is a relatively quiet person. But one thing I love about Romain is his ability to focus on the attack, run the overlap with the right winger, That's whether that's Finley, Molino, or uh, someone like Harrison who might get minutes in the uh, MLS's back tournament too. Matt Nair is, is focused on getting the ball into the box. He's got a fantastic cross, and he, he has good vision. You know, you look at him and you say, he's solid. He gets the job done. He, he rarely messes up. Sometimes he forgets to track back on a counter, but he's a very solid player in that right back slot. And I think a lot of the a lot of the counter for Minnesota United in the MLS back tournament is going to come on that right side through him because he's somebody who is fast. He'll he's he's stayed fit through quarantine, yep. and Heath will be launching the counter through that right side with him. I bet. And then yep. lastly, Jan Gregus, one of my favorite players on Minnesota United. Yep. I I uh, spoke to Jan back in early April um, for a piece with MLS, and uh, I talked to him for about probably 25 minutes on the phone and just talking about life in general, quarantine, what it's like not being on the pitch, and then what life was like back home in Europe for him. And he was telling me that one of the, one of the big things I took out of that interview with him was his, his quote, it was like a movie. Everything right now is like a movie. It doesn't seem real. It just doesn't feel normal to him. And he, he misses the pitch so much. Yeah. He's somebody who's saying he just wants to go out and kick a soccer ball around and he doesn't want to risk breaking anything in his in his in his house by kicking the ball around his house. Yep. He's like, if I break something, I'm gonna I'm gonna get in so much trouble. And I asked him, I said, like, do you play FIFA a lot? And he goes, No, I don't play video games much. He's he likes to read and watch movies. And you know, I found that interesting. You know, he's not big into video games. A lot of a lot of MLS players are big gamers. Mm-hmm. And Jan says he just likes to sit in the corner with a good book or binge watch movies on Netflix. <laughs> but he worked out three times a day throughout quarantine wow. every single day. And that was whether it was like a 25 minute workout or an hour workout. And Heath was sending the team work, the team uh, workouts every single day. This is what you need to be doing at home during the month of April into May, before we had solo training at NSC or anything like that. He was sending the team workouts every single day. This is what I want you doing. This is what you focus on. And he specialized uh, the workouts for every single player, yep. you know, whether it's, I want you to get touches on a ball, maybe uh, just outside your house, nobody around, just get some touches on the ball this way and be passed against the wall. just back and forth with the wall, you know, do something, keep your feet active. Um, and it involved a lot of core and a lot of household um, makeshift weights, whether it's, you know, you take a, uh, a couple books and you just carry them around for 10 minutes, you know, just, do anything you can to keep fit. And it was really difficult for him. He struggled and he wasn't having fun. He was really missing uh, his family too. And he said his parents are under com- were under complete lockdown. They weren't even allowed to go to the grocery store. Wow. And if they wanted to go to the grocery store, they had to sign up and have like an escort to go to the grocery store because of how bad COVID was. So I look at that and I say, We've advanced a lot. We've moved forward a lot, and we're getting we're getting close to soccer. But we have to remember that this is still like a movie. That anything can change. Any twisted turn can happen. So for Minnesota United, we have players who feel ready that want to play. 
But for the rest of the league, there are going to be players who maybe don't want to play. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're cautious. Maybe they're going to be like Tobin Heath and say, I love this game. I love this team and I love this league. But I, I just don't want to put my health at risk. I'm, I have a family back home. I don't want to risk any unnecessary caution. So, yeah, look and at under, that. And, understandably uh, we'll so. I mean, you have you can only you can do nothing but respect that that type of decision that somebody makes because this is not, uh, like you said, it's not a normal scenario. It is like a movie. It's different, and I like how the league is is respecting that decision too. I think a lot of people learn from how the rain reacted to Megan Rapinoe's decision, although it wasn't exactly the same. People learned from that and said, okay, we need to start respecting our players and their decisions on whether or not they want to play more so than, than what we saw in that particular scenario. But everybody I've talked to, to your point, talking to Grey Goose, everybody I have uh, heard from Minnesota United quotes, you know, nothing really to me indicates that anybody for the Loons is going gonna, is gonna to stay home at least at this point. I agree. Yep. But I, I also want to touch on one more thing, just a random thought that just popped in my head. You were men- mentioning the, uh, the versatility of Raheem Edwards earlier. For anyone who listens to this podcast, if you do not follow Raheem Edwards on Twitter, you're missing out. Amazing follow. He's an amazing he follow. By far the most entertaining MLS player to follow on social media. You'll see the most random things yep. posted on Twitter, whether it's about video games, whether it's about life, whether it's about groceries, like mm-hmm. just the most random things. And it's fantastic. Yeah. I just followed him on a whim. I was just looking through. I was like, oh, I don't follow Raheem Edwards yet. I hit the follow button. Immediately, best decision I've made whole quarantine it's so entertaining so entertaining and he's a fantastic person too like fans from toronto they loved him you know Mm -hmm. and when he went here i was reading in the comments i remember back when the when the uh when the signing happened oh you guys are gonna love him so much what a fantastic player i'm excited to see what he has i'm i'm really excited to see what he can do too haven't seen much of the first two matches that's because late in the matches uh minnesota pretty much had those games in hand uh, at mm-hmm. least when you get to like 75th, 80th minute mark. So um, really haven't gotten the opportunity to see what he can bring. But uh, MLS's back is going to bring out the best and worst than a lot of these players. You know, we're going yes. to see what these players have. Um, and I think the signings, like you mentioned, Raheem Edwards, James Musa, I think could be a guy who gets yep. some good run late in matches, his ability to play both in the defensive third and in midfield, I think could be a huge boost to this team in terms of just his flexibility as well. Marlon Harrison as well. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's somebody who can play on both wings. Um, I bet you could throw him as, as, as an attacking midfielder too late in the game if you needed that extra push. Say Heath runs out with a 4-2-3-1, a 4-4-2, whatever it is. And 80th minute, we're down by one, moves to a 3-5-2. He's the type of player you put as a second outside forward or something. Question regarding the, the type of formations that we could see Adrian Heath <laughs> out there. We already talked about kind of the depth and the, the options that they have in the attacking third. If it comes down to it, do you think we could see a situation where we have Amaria and Toy or Amaria and Schoenfeld or Schoenfeld and Toy on the field at the same time and almost a, a 4-4-2 or a situation where Minnesota needs to get a goal late in the, late in the match? Well, here's my thing. There's no chance we see Schoenfeld and Toy on the, on the field at the same time. You look at the body types, the type of players they are, mm. I, I don't see it for the life of me. I look at Toy and, like, this is a big comparison and – Obviously, he's not on the same level, but I see Toy as a similar type of player as like a Marcus Rashford. I look at Toy and somebody who sits forward, is fast and can poach. Obviously, he's nowhere near the level or the capability of someone like Marcus Rashford. But from a style of play standpoint, you're looking at Toy as someone like a Marcus Rashford. He's got the height. He's got the ability to 
make those fast forwarding runs. He can poach up the top. And frankly, his work rate is phenomenal. He'll run back. He doesn't give up. If there's one thing that Adrian Heath says more than anything, anytime after a match, training, interview, whatever it is, anytime you talk to Heath regarding Toy, he'll end it with the same thing. He's never met anybody who wants to be more, who wants to be a professional footballer more than Mason Toy. He's never met anybody who's wanted it more than him. And you've really seen the relationship between those two grow over the past uh, two years because of that. Heath and Toy, it's like a, it's like the father-son coaching relationship. You know, yeah. Heath's really taken him under his wing, and he wants he wants Toy to be the best footballer he can be. That's that is Heath's entire goal with Mason Toy is to bring the best out of him. And he knows that Toy can do it. We just got to see the the on-field consistency happen. And regarding Amaria and Toy, I don't know. I think you are more likely to see you're more likely to see a second forward like that that is like a Marlon Harrison or a Kevin Molino move up with Amaria. I think because okay. Toy and Amaria are I don't know. It's it's tough to say because they're both very fast players. They both can have a knack for getting the ball in the box in the air. They can both head. We mm-hmm. saw that in preseason with Amaria, scored uh, two headers in a really nice preseason match. Mm-hmm. Can't recall against two, but seeing two strikers from Heath, it's not common. We no, could see not. it in like a 3-5-2 a three, late game, though, like I was saying earlier. If we do end up needing to push players forward, let's move three to the back. Opara, Gasper, and Metnai are in the back. Move Dotson or whoever in the back. Move them up top. Maybe you sub out one of them and you bring on somebody like Edwards. You bring on somebody like Harrison or Musa or even Schoenfeld to go up top with him. I just – I don't see two strikers coming from Adrian Heath. If I see any formation coming from Heath out of this tournament, it's going to be a 4-3-3 with an attacking mid, a 4-3-2-1, or your, your classic 4 2 3 one It would be interesting to see, though, if Russ starts to play a factor, if conditioning starts to play a factor – how he may maneuver those formations even within the group stage. Well, I think the big thing too is keeping Ike Opara healthy. Mm-hmm. Ike Opara is incredibly influential. And then, gosh, I should know this because I am a media member of Minnesota and I follow them a lot, but the amount of suspended games Brent Coleman has left. Uh, he has three. Three left. So, so basically the that, entire group stage. Basically the entire group stage. You know, I got to wonder then maybe, uh, maybe say the loons advance out of the group stage and they make it to a quarterfinal that's a knockout. And, you know, you're up 3-1, 2-1 in the second half, and you've drained your center backs like Ike Parr or Michael Boxel. Mm-hmm. You have somebody like Brent Collin on the back then. Maybe Heath brings him in. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because we don't have a ton of center back depth. No. We really don't. We brought in um, Aha yep. on the offseason, and I don't know much about him. None of us do. He never really had played a lot of games in MLS. He was kind of the – kind of the backup role or even the third string role for a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And we'll have him on the bench, but you never know if Heath even trusts a new player like that, if he's ready to give yeah. him full-time minutes. It could simply be the factor of depth in case of injury. Yeah. But with the idea that Coleman coming back, uh, he could play a role in the quarterfinals as well. All right, let's advance to our predictions here. Like I said, I think Group D is the most well-rounded group. We already mentioned Colorado is kind of our dark horse I'm going to kind of go match by match here. And then I'm going to go with who I think comes out of the group. Uh, First and foremost, I think Group D gets three teams out. I think whoever finishes third in Group D is going to get one of those quote-unquote wildcard spots. Because when you look at the other groups, they're very top-heavy. And I think the bottom tiers of some of these other groups are not going to get many points. Start off with Minnesota United's first match against Sporting Kansas City. 
Kansas City, kind of like Colorado, has that weak advantage on on full team full team practice. Yep. Um, I think you'll see Minnesota United. I think a lot of these early group stage matches are going to be pretty sloppy across the board. But I think you'll be able to see which teams got back to training earlier and which teams didn't. So I expect Kansas City to probably dominate the possession in the first half hour or so. Yep. They will probably get a goal early on, I would expect, just based on that. And then I think uh, Minnesota United uses that depth and they equalize in the second half. And I think we probably end up with a 1-1 draw in that first, first match against, against Kansas City. The I-35W Derby is what we started to call it among the, me- yep. among the, me- the media up in the press box. Uh, we get a few Kansas City media coming up here too. We go down there. But uh, it's going to be a fun one. You could never count out Peter Vermes, one of the most yeah. consistent coaches in MLS. Especially his tournament pedigree is, is <laughs> yes. almost unmatched. A three U.S. Open Cups, an MLS Cup, eight straight playoff appearances before last year. I mean, the dude knows how to coach. He knows how to coach, and frankly – he scares me. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. want to go up against him the, in the first match of the yeah. uh, MLS tournament. God, you're going up against the tactical mastermind of MLS from coaching standards. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a tough one. Um, I'm excited to see Polito. I really am. I want to see what he can bring to the table. And I want to see how he fares against uh, reigning defender of the year, Eichel Parra from Minnesota United. I'm looking at that and I'm thinking that's going to be a fun battle to watch. But then again, it could literally be a 0-0 draw with lack of fitness, lack of chemistry from on the pitch with a lot of these people. Three months off, that's a long time. So yeah. I hope it's fun. I hope we see Polito and Opara battle it out up top yeah. for them in the back for us. So I'm going to go 2-1 to one Sporting Kansas City with that first game. And it's going to be a Polito brace. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Polito, in, in my scenario, Polito gets that early goal too. I mean, he has two goals in the first two matches. He, he's proven himself to be one of the top tier attackers in, in the game in MLS right now. And I think he'll show that early on. Match two against Real Salt Lake. This is kind of what, what I call the redemption match for Minnesota United. Not necessarily from a head-to-head standpoint, but when you look at where each team finished in the playoff positioning last year, I think a lot of Minnesota United fans look at Real Salt Lake and like, man, that should have been us. If we Mm -hmm. didn't score 11 goals in the final 11 matches, that would have been us. And so I think a lot of people look at that and they see that as sort of this, this is the opportunity for United to prove it. And I think after, you know, a full 90 game minutes, I think Minnesota United does much better in the second game in terms of their buildup play, in terms of possession, in terms of keeping the ball, like we saw in this, I think it'll be similar to the San Jose match in terms of possession and in terms of, um, just how crisp they look with their passing and their, their build-up play. And I think we get, we get 2-1 Minnesota United in that second match against Salt Lake. You see, this, is, this might seem a little ambitious to you, but I actually think the Loons are going to utterly dominate for Real Salt Lake. I don't think Real Salt Lake is going to have any chance against Minnesota United. Um, frankly, because Real Salt Lake I've never seen as a team that has blown my mind in any circumstance. Their wins – not necessarily earned wins. Maybe they get lucky. Maybe they don't. Mm. Real Salt Lake is a team that if they score, <laughs> they score, they do really well in certain areas. But throughout the game, it's just, it's bland football. Yep. There's nothing fun about it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really exciting. And I think the Loons win 5-1. In all honesty, I think this is, wow. yeah. And I think Amaria is going to go off against them. I think we get an early goal. I think they'll get a garbage time goal, 80-plus minutes. Mm-hmm. But I think the Loons are going to completely destroy Real Salt Lake in the second game. Like you said, kind of a redemption match. But I also think this is when the juices get flowing. I think you see Chacon maybe make an appearance in that second half. 
I don't think he'll be starting. But I think you see Chacon maybe get an assist or two, maybe get his confidence up. You'll see Toy get some minutes. You'll see um, the likes of, of Musa, Harrison, or Edwards get some minutes in that second half. And I think this is where Keith really can uh, demonstrate the flexibility of his depth now. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe you give some rest to somebody like Eichelpar, to yeah. somebody like Ozzy Alonso. How have we not mentioned Ozzy Alonso's name? I know, yet? right? Who knows if his legs are going to hold up with being down for three months. Mm-hmm. He's an incredibly crucial and influential player for the Loons. And I would absolutely love to see Ozzy perform well in this tournament. But I'm worried about his fitness, too. So mm-hmm. maybe we go up in a game like this and you take him out at halftime and say, Ozzy, you're getting some rest. We've got a big game next and next week we need you back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the Loons dominate Real Salt like 5-1. And I think this, we get the juices flowing. So you have three points from Minnesota United heading into the Colorado clash. I have, I have four points from Minnesota United heading into there. I think Colorado probably does have six points heading into this final match. And we, we were both so high on Colorado. Yep. And this is such a solid squad, such a young squad, a squad that when you look at their starting 11 specifically, they can deal with a three month layoff and come back and, and hit the ground running. And I think that, will honestly play a huge factor in this third match against Minnesota. I think it's competitive. I think it's back and forth trade scoring chances. I think Minnesota United's back wall holds up for the most part. For some reason, I look at this match and I just see, I see one nil Colorado. I don't know why I see one nil Colorado when I look at this. I see this game as a zero, zero draw, but not a boring zero, zero draw. No, and I I say one nil. I don't, I don't, I don't say boring at all. Like I said, back and forth teams, trading chances, quality football, crisp passing, excellent service. But I just think it ends up one nil. I think Colorado gets a goal late in the first half and they just pack it in after that. I think it gets tough for Minnesota to get a good scoring chance. Well, whenever we play Colorado, the only thing that pops in my head is Harrison Heath. And when Minnesota United played Colorado Rapids, Gosh, was this 2018 or 2019? But three red cards in the game. Yep. Harrison Heath got sent off, and that was his uh, his last hurrah as a loon under his dad. And <laughs> uh, that's a little chuckle. I know, I know. Yeah. But uh, that game was so excruciatingly painful to watch in those final mm-hmm. 20 minutes because each team lost their composure, and it just became foul after foul. Yep. And it reminded me, uh, I saw on Twitter, right before we hopped on the on recording this this morning, today's the anniversary of the 2006 World Cup game featuring the Netherlands and Portugal, where there were 15 yellow cards and four red cards, uh, including um, it was Deco and I want to say Van Nistelrooy, who got sent off. And uh, they started watching the game from the tunnels, sitting side by side with their arms around each other because of how crazy the game was. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite images from that World Cup. And that fast forward 10 years and you get this Loons Rapids matchup. Those final 20 minutes were just like that. The referee lost control. Both teams lost their composure. And now whenever the two teams play, all I can think about is who's going to get sent off first? Which player <laughs> from each team? Who's going who's gonna to pull a David Luiz, you know? Who's going to score an own goal yeah. and get sent off 10 minutes later, you know? Who's going to be the player that loses their loses their head and I hate I hate that I think that but I have a feeling that that's what's going to happen it's going to be that third group stage game each team is going to want to win it so bad and I feel like there's going to be some sort of um, influential mistake from one from one team player a big team player uh, if I had to guess I'm looking at someone like uh, Chase Gasper from Minnesota uh, he's got a tendency of um, making some unnecessary tackles late when frustrated uh, we saw that last season and from Colorado, 
honestly, it could be any single one of them. Shinya Shiki is a little bit of a hothead too. Yeah. Um, I could definitely see him getting in the face of Gasper. Those two going at a little bit on that mm. left hand side because Shinya Shiki does tend to run in from the left or from the from the right from Minnesota. Minnesota's mm. left, they're right. Uh, but uh, I think you see a zero zero draw. But I think this is going to be one of the most exciting games of the tournament. And frankly, mm-hmm. Minnesota United ends ends up in second place with uh, due to goal due to goal differential over Sporting Kansas City. I think they both end with four points. And I think RSL is bottom of the group. Colorado tops the group uh, with uh, seven points. So your your five one win uh, in that second match really plays a factor in that goal differential. Yes. I have even goal differential for Minnesota United. So I think that they will probably lose out on goal differential in terms of getting that second spot. But sure. like I said, I think three teams get out of group D and I think, uh, I think Minnesota will advance and they're not calling it a wild card, but that's the only word I can, I can think of to call it as a, sure. you know, one of those third place wild card spots in advance. So we both have Minnesota United advancing to the knockout rounds, both in different ways, but do you see Minnesota United, if they get to the knockouts, you know, advancing far in this tournament? It entirely depends who we match up against. You know, mm-hmm. if you end up playing a team like the Seattle Sounders in the quarterfinals, no way. Seattle is my pick to win the tournament. If I had to pick an underdog, I'm going to go with Colorado, like I mentioned earlier. However, if you end up playing a team like uh, New England Revolution, the New York Red Bulls, New York City FC, a mid-level team with a couple top-tier players. They're going to be tired. You're going to be tired. It's all about who is more fit, who is more prepared, who's ready to take on the challenge. And I think if you face a mid-level team in that quarterfinal knockout, that really gets your confidence going. Say you make it to the, you make it to the next round, you end up playing a team like LAFC, like the LA Galaxy, um, someone who's top of the line in MLS. That's going to be a tough challenge. But – I think if you've made it that far with the roster you have and you're Adrian Heath, you got this. Your your team can do it. We don't have a specific star player. We are a whole entity as a team. We are one combined. uh, We are one combined player in a sense. We don't have a Chicharito. We don't have a Carlos Vela, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Mm -hmm. no Bradley Wright Phillips, no David Villa. Over the past few years, we've seen some amazing stars single-handedly lead good teams. Minnesota United is – Note is a team that has no star player per se. Arco Parra is our best player, in my opinion, and he's our center back. Having your center back as your best player isn't a bad thing, but he's also somebody who really can't influence your team in a late game. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he get, goes into the box for a header on a corner. Maybe he's able to get the ball up, but in terms of needing a proven star goal scorer at the end, we don't have one. So yeah. it is about getting that early goal. It is about getting that goal right before the halftime whistle, having the confidence going into the break, maybe um, two goals, 55th, 75th minute, those 20 minutes apart, you get that first one, you feel good. Then you close it out with 15 minutes to go. That team, the other team is struggling for those last 15 minutes. They're going to make sloppy mistakes. You know, it's all about having the composure to be able to prove that you are capable of competing against some of the best teams in this league as well as proving to yourself as a manager that the, the team made a, the right move in extending you and you are the future of this club. So he has a lot on his shoulders, but if he can manage to make it out of the group stage and prove against the, in the quarterfinals or the semifinals, whoever you play, that your team is good enough without some mega star, by all means, Minnesota United can be a contender for the championship. 
I also think if they're to get to the knockout rounds, the way they bowed out to LA Galaxy last year in the MLS Cup playoffs will weigh heavily on their minds. And I think it'll be a huge motivating factor in terms of making sure they're at their most focused, they're, they're at their best. Um, and I think you'll, you'll see a, a really tuned in Minnesota United team if they are to advance past the group stage. But like, like we both said, Group D, it's going to be tough getting out of there with, with the quality they have. And it's a, it's a young core with Minnesota, too. You know, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily a team that's relying on a lot of, uh, a lot of veteran leadership. You've got the ability to, with these younger players, you have the ability to have uh, stronger legs. You'll be able to recover faster. And frankly, they've played together for quite some time. There's a few new additions, but these new additions, they aren't inserting into the squad right away. Mm-hmm. You know, the only new addition that I frankly see, or there's two, there's Tyler Miller and Luis Amarillo who are going to slide in immediately. Yep. But there's going to be nine, nine returning players from last year in that starting squad. So it will be interesting and fun to see. And like we both said at the beginning, fingers crossed that this thing actually happens and and goes off uh, the the way, the way that we hope it will. Um, Jacob Schneider, MLS.com, E Pluribus Lunum. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. I appreciate it. Uh, We will talk more as this tournament gets rolling for sure. For sure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to see what happens. And then we've got some NWSL starting tomorrow. So I'm excited Dude, for that as well. I already got my CBS All Access subscription, got that free trial. I am, I am ready to roll with the Challenge Cup too. I downloaded it on the Fire Stick. Be watching it on TV tomorrow. There you go. Well, hey, I'll be, I'll be uh, looking forward to watching that right along with you. All right, Jacob Schneider, Sounds thank good. you so much for the time, man. You have a good one, all right? You as well. All right, now I'm welcomed by a very special guest. He's the general manager of Duluth FC, Mr. Tim Sass. Tim, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so there's a lot going on right now, obviously, in, in all aspects of athletics and all aspects of life. And uh, there's a couple current topics that I want to get to with Duluth FC in a minute. But first, I want to talk a bit about kind of your personal background, kind of get into uh, how you got into soccer and eventually into, into Duluth FC. So why don't you start with kind of how you got involved in the game? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh... For the question, so uh, practically speaking, I was born with soccer. I'm Romanian born. I, uh, I grew up there up until my early teen years in Romania. And I had a ball at my feet uh, very early on. And I just loved the sport. Uh, honestly, I don't even know that I paid attention to any other sports up until I was uh, in the double digits. And I always joke around, uh, but it's a, stru- it's a true story. I only figured out when I was nine years old that the basketball hoop that was, you know, in the schoolyard was actually for a different sport. I thought <laughs> it was just kind of target practice for soccer. Yeah. So um, essentially, that's how I got involved in the sport, and I fell in love with it. And I, I uh, followed the local uh, local clubs, and uh, in fact, I'm still a supporter of the local club uh, awesome. by the name of Oli uh, Timisoara in the city of Romania where, where I lived and uh, it was uh, just a really a great time uh, a great time for me as a kid involved with the sport that I loved. We moved my family moved to Sweden my parents fled uh, Romania during communism so it was okay. a different historic time. Mm-hmm. We moved to Sweden and then we moved to Canada which became home. Uh, Vancouver Canada became home and um, I continued to play 
all throughout uh, that time, I continued to play uh, in uh, minor leagues uh, through college. I did not play college soccer in Canada, but um, I uh, I just loved playing, and I I still love playing, although. My fitness is not <laughs> not anywhere where I'd like it to be. Um, and um, then I moved to the um, I moved to Minnesota in the mid late nineties for graduate school, and I ended up remaining here. Like I said, I attended graduate school and I worked in the field, uh, international business. But uh, in addition to that. Um, you might have noticed it elsewhere. I am a priest. I attended seminary and I was ordained actually when I was in St. Paul. And we moved, uh, my family and I moved to Duluth here in late 2004, early 2005, where I serve at a church. And I continue to be involved in the game, playing locally in the local league and getting slower and slower every year. And I began coaching, which I, um, which I really loved. I really loved coaching. And then when I was in my early 40s, I decided to start playing again after I had taken a break for, oh gosh, almost 10 years. I decided to start playing again and uh, basically put together a team with a bunch of friends, with a bunch of people uh, who were like me in late 30s early 40s all of us had played the football before we we knew the game and we put together this team basically to have fun yeah and to get together and go play uh, go play a match and then go out grab a beer together and just kind of have fun with friends and reconnect with the sport that uh, all of us love and um, we signed up in the uh, Duluth Amateur Soccer League, which is actually a, a long-standing soccer league up yep, here absolutely. in the Northland. Not a lot of teams. There are only uh, usually anywhere between 8 to 12 teams, but some of them rather strong. Yep. And um, we uh, registered our team uh, with, this, uh, with this league. All of us had played in the league before, and very soon after, we realized that uh, you can't play with 20-year-olds when you're 40. <laughs> and um, we started off really rough. We started off the season very, very roughly, uh, losing like five to nothing. Mm -hmm. But within a couple of weeks, half of us were, were injured and out for the season, myself included. And essentially, I kind of ended up uh, having to become manager and coach and recruited some high school players. And by the end of the season, we actually made the playoffs. And uh, wow. it, got, it got better. And um, it was really in that 2015 uh, year, 2015, during that first season of Duluth FC, that... Uh, things started to look like we could do something a little different and a little better than what we had done before. And practically speaking, I called a bunch of friends, uh, local college coaches, as you know, the, um, the twin ports, Duluth and Superior, there are uh, 
three college soccer programs that are all rather strong at their level. Mm. And um, so basically we got together uh, at a local restaurant and talked about possibly putting together a team, having some tryouts and signing up for what was at the time the American Premier League, the APL, yep. mm -hmm. which had its rough spots, but um, we decided to join that and we did. And the APL actually did quite well the next year in 2016. And we did well ourselves. We finished second one point behind uh, Fargo at the time. And we realized that things were going, yeah, better than we expected. And, uh, I think it was during that following season. Yeah, it was the fall of 2016 after the 2016 summer APL season ended. Then we began conversations and negotiations with the uh, NPSL. And um, we moved up to the NPSL in uh, 2017. And here we are now. Honestly speaking, this team began really as a bunch of friends wanting to play. Mm -hmm. And if you uh, were to have asked me at the time where Duluth FC would be in uh, 2020, I would have told you that I'm not sure it's going to be around. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, a, that's a, a very brief overview. A little bit of me and a little bit of uh, my involvement with, uh, with the club. That's I should also clarify, I'm married. I have four daughters. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. And um, all of them played soccer because I didn't give them a choice. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so. We're trying to put the soccer ball at the feet of our, uh, our four-year-old. And okay. she, she'll kick it for a while, and then she'll just pick it up and throw it. <laughs> so it's like, well, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, but kind of circling back to something you mentioned, you kind of brought up that your role as GM was kind of born out of necessity, basically. Like you needed to get some younger players. Somebody had to step in and kind of take on that role. When you were playing, did you ever get a feeling or, uh, you know, something that, that made you think, like, oh, I might be good in like a coaching or a management type role in the game uh, while you were playing? Or was that just strictly born out of the necessity of, well, what you guys were experiencing in that first year of Duluth FC? Well, so I, um, I had been coaching youth up until that point for about mm -hmm. 10 years, and I'm a licensed coach, but um, I never coached at this level. Mm -hmm. I never coached men, never coached, coached college. I coached U18s, but uh, it's a big difference uh, yep. from uh, U18s to college, and it's an even bigger difference from, from college to, uh, to the NPSL level. Mm -hmm. So I never, um, I never really thought myself as a coach. Really, in 2015, in our first season of Duluth FC, being part of a DASL, as we call it, Duluth Amateur Soccer League, it doesn't require necessarily a coach. It doesn't require a general manager. Really, you have one team manager that is essentially the contact with the league, and you are in charge of sending on information mm -hmm. and that's what i basically did at okay. the time that's what it required up until we had to recruit like i said 
this was not a joke. Uh, out of 24, a roster of 24, 12 of us were injured. Oh man! It's <laughs> just the reality of where it was. Yeah, and we couldn't we couldn't continue anymore. Myself included. I I literally came back to playing just uh, I think one game before the playoffs. I was out the whole summer with an injury. So um, at that point, it, the season had begun, and the league commissioner basically said to me, look, go to the high schools and see if you can select from the local high schools the top couple of players because we had already paid the money mm -hmm. and the season had begun. Every other team in the league was dependent on, on the matches, right? Yeah. The other 12 or so players on our team wanted to continue playing, but you, you can't keep playing with that few players. So that's that's how it really came about. And I said, well, I can't play, but, you know, I started this thing. I might as well keep going, right? Yeah. So that's that's really how, how it got going. And we got a couple of uh, players from local, from some of the area high schools. And, um, <laughs> and it worked out well. It worked out well. And I was kind of coach and manager and, uh, you know, water mm -hmm. guy, you know everything and it and I loved it I really yep. loved it I enjoyed it now in terms of uh, business management and running a club I had never run a club before a, a football club a soccer club any sports club I've never done that but I have education and training in business I continue to mm -hmm. work I work with people mm -hmm. I I love people and I I know a thing or two about working with people so yeah that part didn't scare me, but um, it would be it would be wrong to say that uh, I run the club now. Mm -hmm. I I do not. Our club currently, I mean, really from 2015 when I was chief cook and bottle washer, uh, we now, especially during the season, we we are a staff of nearly 40. Yep. all volunteers mm -hmm. and there's a small handful of people who basically work year-round for this club yeah. like I do yeah it's I, I think one of the things that people may not realize about about just lower league soccer in general it's a complete labor of passion and and love for the game probably I'd say more than 80 percent of the people who work in lower league soccer soccer maybe even more totally volunteers and I think that's something that a lot of people might not realize when, when you're talking about that does that help or hinder the process uh, of getting people on your staff and people, uh, you know, quality people on your staff, you know, obviously you're getting people who love the game, uh, but the volunteer aspect I'm sure does make it a kind of a challenge to, to bring people on. Would you say that's true? I think that, that creates both challenges and opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like most things in life. At the beginning, when we first got started, it was exclusively soccer people because I didn't know where else to turn. And, mm -hmm it didn't make sense to turn anywhere else but the local soccer people as i mentioned to you that first meeting when we decided to uh, sign up for the apl it was the local college and a couple of the high school coaches mm. yeah so that that's how it got started we have a number of soccer people who have been involved in soccer in this community all of their lives or most of their lives for example our operations manager uh, charlie forsyth if you haven't met him, he's a great guy to connect with. He grew up, was born and raised in Proc Proctor, which is a suburb to the south here. 
was a superstar player in his high school. He was a great player at UWS, University of Wisconsin Superior, mm -hmm. when that program was in its infancy. And uh, actually, he even uh, he almost made it on back on the uh, Minnesota Thunder days. Yep. So clearly a soccer guy through and through. Um, but there, and, and there are a few other, there are a few others like him, uh, quite a few others like him, who are just, they live the game, you know, they, they are the guys that wake up Saturday morning at 5 a.m. to catch the matches from the Premier League or the yep. Bundesliga. They are the guys who know, who follow, you know, the national team, follow Minnesota United and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. They, they, they probably played and coached their entire lives. But then we also have a fair number of uh, volunteers who are just volunteering because at this point we're rather well known in the Twin Ports community mm -hmm. and they want to support us. They see that it's a good thing for the community of the Twin Ports area and um, they have never kicked a soccer ball. They probably hardly understand any of the rules of the sport, mm -hmm. but they really love what, what's been done and they are, they are now contributing to make it even better and even greater. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so that's the second group of volunteers. And then the third group uh, I would say is the um, interns, the college interns. Mm -hmm. And some of them come with a football background, soccer background. Some of them do not. They just come with background because they, you know, marketing or graphic design or management. They're, they're looking for opportunities to intern, and this is an exciting thing. Yep. You had mentioned uh, offhand Minnesota United in uh, your, your answer to that question there. I feel like, you know, there's such a rich history of soccer around the state of Minnesota. I think Minnesota is pretty unique in that regard, being kind of a Midwestern city or Midwestern state, how soccer really does have a rich history here. Here in the Twin Cities, we can see just, you know, walking out my front door and driving on 94 that. Minnesota United kind of, you know, becoming the MLS club of Minnesota, it's kind of reignited that, that soccer passion and, and that it's kind of resurged that, that, that soccer history. Uh, and I can see that here in the Twin Cities. Have you guys felt that up there in Duluth as well? Since you know, Minnesota got an MLS team, are you guys kind of feeling that soccer reboom, so to speak, uh, up there? This is probably a longer conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, the simple answer is yes, mm -hmm. but like most answers, not everything is simple, right? Yep. I think what you said at the very beginning is really key. The reality that Minnesota actually has a rather rich soccer history and rather long-standing soccer history. Mm -hmm. Most people perhaps don't even realize that uh, there was a Minnesota Vikings soccer team. Yep decades back so i i kind of want that name back but it's probably not going to happen uh, so probably not there's rich uh, soccer history all throughout the state dassel duluth amateur soccer league which serves this uh, twin ports duluth superior and the northland even as far as hibbing and uh, ashland wisconsin hibbing minnesota and ashland wisconsin this men's league has been around for more than uh, 50 years continuously. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's awesome. 
for a, an area with uh, with a population of less than a quarter million people. Yep. It's rather remarkable. So there is plenty of history. The other thing that's kind of remarkable is that there is that we have such a rich history and we have so much soccer being played in spite of the fact that there's no NCAA Division I programs anywhere near us. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's still a little bit mind-boggling. Now, mm-hmm. we have some very good D3 programs and have had them for, for some years. And um, now, of course, we've got uh, St. Cloud State at D2, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, St. Thomas. Uh, in addition to that, of course, the Minnesota, um, Minnesota professional soccer world had had experiences, right, with the strikers and the kicks uh, going back decades. But uh, let's not forget that prior to uh, United, we had the Thunder mm-hmm. that were very, very successful for two decades straight. Of course, there were a couple of years when they were the stars, NSC and Minnesota stars. Anyhow, prior to um, them becoming Minnesota United and then uh, joining MLS. so. I'd say that uh, people who paid attention to soccer paid attention to soccer long before mm-hmm. United moved up to MLS. And I think that there were quite a few people who knew about the Thunder, <clears throat> even if they weren't um, avid football supporters or mm-hmm. soccer fans before. But uh, you are correct in stating that moving to MLS has created uh, an uptick of buzz in the um, general sports fan and general sports entertainment fan Mm -hmm. base in Minnesota, in the Twin Cities, and even in Duluth in Mm -hmm. our area as well. Okay, got it. Transitioning once again to kind of more of these uh, current uh, talking points here. Um, obviously, you know, you'd be well in the uh, NPSL season right now if it weren't for uh, COVID-19. What's the layoff been like for you guys and from an organizational standpoint? And, and how are you guys adapting to this new reality? And what are you prioritizing right now in terms of, of how you guys are operating? So the, the cancellation of the season was something that nobody wanted. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody wants to do that. And uh, it, was, it was a difficult decision, but it was the right decision, I believe. And uh, I think uh, looking at the whole picture, it was definitely the right decision. Where are we due to this? If we had had the season going, you're right. It would have been in the middle of the season. All mm-hmm. of us would have been busy preparing from one match to the next because we, mm-hmm. we have two matches a week, really, during the regular season. And um, it would have been just a lot of excitement, mm-hmm. a lot of excitement and a lot of fun. And, you know, a lot of nervousness about making the playoffs and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. The cancellation of the season, of course, has put a pause on a, on a lot of aspects of the club. And our mindset really began switching rather early on to the what will our preparation for 2021 be like? Mm-hmm. In Duluth, and that was probably the case for every other NPSL club in the country, 
in Duluth, we had a second team. We had a reserve team, though, on a less formal, in a less formal format for the past three years. Mm-hmm. This year, we actually formalized it and we signed them up with a league. And we had been hopeful, we had hoped that we would be able to get a few matches with the academy team, mm-hmm. our U23 team, yeah. in, in, in the season. That wasn't to be, unfortunately. So essentially now where we find ourselves is we're starting to look at 2021, but we're also looking at how is our recovery going to take place? Because obviously, like every other NPSL club, we had spent money to get ready. Yep. We had spent money to get ready and uh, we did not get sponsorships. We only had a couple of sponsors that had left the money and uh so and we we were very very thankful for our what we call the disciples it's a group of people who are essentially season ticket holders but uh, they have a membership package that uh, gives them a little bit of extra benefits but more importantly they um, they get a big say in what we look like uh, especially on the pitch Mm -hmm. because the disciples get to vote so you know April would have been very busy collecting votes for the home kit, for the away kit, yep. for the goalkeeper kit, you know, all of those decisions that disciples would have been involved in, mm-hmm. and we would have been busy communicating with them. Um, we were not because we were busy trying to figure out if we we're going to have a season or not. Yeah. So um, we had um, over 50 some. Um, disciples up to the point where we where the season kind of became iffy and was canceled and uh those people actually you know they they put out money mm-hmm. they pay money early on some of them even as far back as october of last year to reserve their season tickets and uh in a in a home jersey and yeah and so on and so forth so we're we're very lucky that um we have having finally realized that we're not going to be playing any football this season. And uh, we um, made the decision, this is it. We're going to stop trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, we communicated with them and we offered everybody either a full refund or, or to transfer their membership to 2021. And we're still waiting for a few, uh, a few uh, disciples to get back to us, but essentially almost all of them have communicated that they're transferring their, uh, they're transferring their uh, membership to 2021. So we're very thankful for that. But uh, aside from that, we haven't had a source of income, right? It's been just a straight expense. So we're kind of starting to look forward to 2021 and starting to see how we can leverage some of the the opportunity for uh, conversations and relationships with sponsors. Many of our sponsors are local local businesses and that's a that's a challenge too you know because every local business has suffered from this uh, quarantine experience so we'll see it's a little bit unknown but we're feeling good we're we're feeling yeah. we're feeling like things are going to be things are going to be all right 
just seeing soccer back in general, I think is encouraging with Bundesliga and the Premier League and, you know, MLS has plans to come back and other sports here in America have these plans to come back. So I think that's kind of the first step in sort of optimism that, you know, 2021 will, you know, can and will happen, you know, as it should. Uh, when you talk about the decision to, you know, not pursue kind of any possible matches this summer, I know that even though NPSL was basically canceled, um, you know, a lot of the clubs, I'm sure you guys included, we're looking at kind of alternative possibilities, playing some sort of independent schedule, just getting, you know, some teams from around the area together to do a few matches just to get some people in and, and just, you know, get the guys on the field again. Uh, when did you guys make that decision that you weren't going to move forward with any, you know, with anything and kind of just basically punt the summer at this point? You're right. There were a, a handful of us that really wanted to have some kind of a, some kind of a soccer experience. But um, when did we make that decision? Gosh, it's hard to remember now. I, uh, the final, final word came when we uh, realized we're not going to be able to participate in, with our academy team. Mm -hmm. And I believe that was two and a half, three weeks ago at, at the most. So we still had some hopes yep. of getting some matches in, even, uh, even as late as two, three weeks ago. Uh, but uh, when when uh, we realize we can participate with the academy in the local league, even though that league is going to have kind of a truncated schedule um, because of the nature of those clubs and the the way they function, there some of the clubs are able to participate in a, in a in a season. In fact, give them um, give them a follow. WPASL, they're called. Okay. <clears throat> So it's a Northwest Wisconsin league, essentially. Okay. So our, our academy uh, was signed up to participate in that, and we're going to remain part of that with our academy for next year. But that's, that's kind of when we realized we got to stop trying because mm -hmm. the truth is that anything that we would have done would have just been too difficult because of limitations of uh, legal implications and mm -hmm. uh, insurance implications, potentially medical implications. Mm -hmm. And uh, in addition to that, financially, it, it would have just been uh, a, very, uh, a very costly experience without a lot of return mm -hmm. or without a lot of real enjoyment for the, for the fans. Yeah. And then the, the one other thing that really held us back and it's, it still would have been holding us back is the reality that we don't have any stadiums available. Yeah. The school that's, system. That's a bit of an issue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, the, we uh, here, we don't have any uh, standalone private stadiums up here. They're all either college or, uh, or high school. So the school districts and the, and the college, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not, they're not, using it for their own use never mind renting it to us mm -hmm. so yeah there's just too many limitations from all directions mm -hmm. we figured it's time to actually hang up the cleats for for this year now even though there's not soccer on the field you guys are kind of participating virtually in in the npsl with the enpsl um, Andrew Campbell's done an excellent job with that team. And actually, I just saw, I think he tweeted this out yesterday. He's going to be involved in the ECPL, the Canadian Premier League. Uh, I guess they're doing some sort of virtual e-sports e type scenario. So uh, kudos to him. But um, just from an organizational standpoint, how did, you, how did you guys hear about this from the league? Um, and how did you guys decide to kind of get involved? Because I know not every NPSL team is involved. Um, so how did you guys kind of hear about it and then decide that you wanted to be one of the teams? 
Right. Well, this is actually a really neat story. And I love stories where um, um, I, I love experiences in addition to stories where I go in and I, I get to learn so much because it's, this is all new to me. Honestly, we, we've actually had an e-sports e team for, this is our third year. Yep. So we're not new to this, but I was certainly new to it. <laughs> uh, in all honesty, it came to me through Andrew Campbell, uh, that, uh, and I, I, I see you know about him, or perhaps you know him, and Ryan Susans. These two, uh, these two men uh, who are just fans of the you know they they're just soccer fans they live uh, they live in the area and uh one day they just reached out to me and we'd like to yeah just kind of connect with you and volunteer to help and i you want to dedicate some time come on in man yeah, exactly <laughs> essentially we got together and um they uh, they joined in as as volunteers and um Orion had to step back uh, after that first season, but um, uh, Andrew has been our uh, our visiting team liaison. Yeah, he served in that capacity for I don't know, maybe three years, four, mm -hmm. maybe four. Years. I can't even remember anymore. But he started he started off with that, and then one day he basically said to me, "Hey, look, this is something we do," and I'm like. <laughs> what you but you're a grown man and i'm like i i never played video games even as a kid and of mm -hmm. course i'm so old that uh you know that kind of stuff wasn't it's never it's never too late to pick up the controller tim it's never too I, late i guess you're right i guess you're right but uh, essentially i didn't know anything about it and then of course it was basically i was illuminated yep <laughs> i was uh, i was brought to the reality that Esports is, my goodness, it's an industry of itself, mm -hmm. and it's actually very much a grown-up, a grown-up participation sport, and not just a kid, not just a kid experience. And uh, the organizations involved, and mm -hmm. how how elaborate it is, and the fact that there are professional leagues who make mm -hmm. more money than the minor leagues, you know. <laughs> And uh, it, it, it was uh, really exciting to hear and learn about it. Then I got on the Twitch account and I, I got to see what these guys were doing. Like I said, it was early on started by Andrew and Ryan and another guy, Jay Adams. Perhaps mm -hmm. you know him. He's oh, yeah. United now and another great guy. And there were a few others. And um, essentially, uh, Andrew kind of ran this boat, but it was honestly it was kind of it wasn't all that big at least mm -hmm. not to my experience and with the cancellation of the season andrew kind of came to me and said hey tim here's this idea and what do you think so i said well you know what yeah i bet you there's there's something that can be done mm -hmm. but i don't understand this stuff <laughs> i don't know anything about this stuff i'm stressed beyond stressed me and Charlie and Blake and a whole bunch of others trying to figure out how everything else, if we're going to have this as a proper entire component uh, of our club, 
you're going to have to become the manager of it. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> so, um, and I don't think he, uh, he realized how, how big it was going to get, but essentially mm-hmm. I put him in touch with the league and there were a few other clubs that already had something happening in the NPSL. And uh, Andrew is now part of the leadership of, uh, of, of the ENPSL for the whole country. Mm-hmm. We're very proud of him. He's, he's a great guy, first of all, just a, one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. And dependable, reliable, smart, um, and uh, really the, uh, the NPSL as a whole has added this esports component, which is not going to go away. Mm-hmm. If there's one benefit that came out of this pandemic, it's this component. Yep. And there are clubs, I think there are 16 currently, mm-hmm. but that's only going to grow. Yep. And look at how much, uh, how much it's done for, for everyone. Yeah, it's, it's really given, you know, just uh, soccer fans in general, something to look forward to, you know, every Tuesday and Thursday night. I mean, it's, it's, it's been kind of cool to be able to kind of put that on my calendar. You know, I can't watch every time, but, you know, hey, it's, it's eight o'clock. It's like I, I could, you know, watch an, another Netflix documentary or, hey, I could watch DFC <laughs> and I'll play some eSports. It's been really cool. And, you know, video games are now, I mean, it's crazy. You, I mean, it, it looks almost like the real thing. Yeah. I mean, you guys have, I mean, you guys have your kits in there. I mean, it looks like you guys. Yeah. Well, and that's the, that's the other thing. Um, they, they are just one of the other teams, right? We have Duluth FC and PSL. We have the Academy play, playing in the Wisconsin league and we have the esports team. It's mm-hmm. the sad part is that we can't interact as easily mm-hmm. with, uh, with the esports players because they're from all over the place. Right. So, um, Anyhow, but it's but it's still very exciting. Very yeah, exciting. It's, it's been awesome to kind of uh, see you guys associated with that. And like you said, this is something that's only going to grow. I mean, even when we even when soccer comes back, this esports thing is still is oh, still yeah. going to be there for sure. And it's awesome to be involved and kind of get on, you know, lack of a better term, the ground floor of of what's happening there. So uh, yeah, it's been excellent to see. So it's twitch.tv slash Duluth FC esports. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, also, they have their own Twitter account, DFC underscore esports. Um, right. so you can follow them, and then of course, you get your your main account at Duluth FC on Twitter is always retweeting it and 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 promoting the the esports side too. So, right, our our main account has become, of course, for the first team for the NPSL team. But in addition to that, our main account has become a little bit of a hub. Yep. For for the growth of the club. Absolutely. All right, last question, Tim, and this is the most important question I'm going to ask you the whole time. Oh, hit me. If you could recommend one item from your team store online, what would it be? <laughs> Our team store online, actually, I think it's down right now. I think is it? Down. Uh, maybe not. I can't remember. But um, well, when it comes back up, if it's down, when it comes back up, what what should somebody buy? Yeah. So uh, we're um, we we have a new uh, manager for the for the store for the blue green shop as we called it uh so um i can't really i can't really say because they're gonna beat me up Um, (laughs) but uh, i think there will be there will be a few items select a few select items coming uh coming up um sometime in july okay so um i don't know i don't know what to recommend but uh, we're also going to have some announcements i think for um for the new disciples package uh, for 2021 mm-hmm. 
and so on and so forth. Uh, we appreciate all the support that we, uh, that we get because in all reality, minor league soccer or uh, NPSL soccer, soccer at this level, in, uh, in a place like Duluth, Minnesota, in the Midwest, and perhaps in the whole country, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking at it comprehensively, really survives by, uh, in, this is my opinion, so I, I don't claim to speak for every club, but I do believe that the majority of clubs will agree at least partially with me. I believe this level of soccer survives with local support. Absolutely. Local fans. And secondly, local businesses. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really firmly believe that. I'm looking at uh, Duluth FC that is highly reliant on our sponsors year after year. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have even one nationwide sponsor. And we've done, we've done well. We've yeah. done actually very well by, by comparison to, to other clubs. And I'm not saying that uh, as a sign of pride. I'm saying that with, uh, with thankfulness mm-hmm. because without the support of the sponsors, uh, our title sponsor being St. Luke's Hospital, uh, one of two, one of two uh, health, uh, health systems up here. And then the many, many smaller sponsors, it would not have worked. And uh, then secondarily, um, although I, I shouldn't say secondarily, because they're, they're equal, is uh, really the people who come to the matches, buy tickets, and buy merch. So that's, that's kind of key, the key I see. I, I was just going to say, it really is that full circle aspect of lower league soccer that I, I find just so fascinating is, you know, the community supports the club, but also the club supports the community. Um, and two things that I always try to tell people who, you know, there are a lot of people I think that really like to help grow the game. If you're interested in soccer and you're an American, you know, you just inherently want to help the game grow in America. And two things I always tell people uh, if they're looking to help grow the game is find a club that, you know, isn't, you know, a big corporate, you know, club, but if they have a cool looking kit that you want to purchase, buy it, you know, you're, you're helping them more than you could possibly know by doing that. Even if you don't have a club in your own community, if, if you're just looking around and you, you think the, the Jersey's cool, if you buy it, that's going to help support that club immensely. But also, uh, just like you guys, a lot of clubs have these, these out-of-town uh, supporters packages, right? Where you can, you can get a season ticket, you'll get the kit, you'll get all the package that comes with it. But then that, you know, the game tickets may be donated to, you know, a local youth program. Um, and I noticed that, that you guys have that out-of-towners package, or at least you, you did, yeah. um, available as well. So we had this uh, 12th player membership very early on, actually. We started right in 2016 with it. And then uh, it kind of got resurrected and revamped in a year or two later. And it became uh, became the Disciples. Uh, Some uh, very creative people called it the Disciples. Uh, uh, At first, I wasn't sure that that was the right name for it. But Mm -hmm. uh, they thought of it as a spin based on me being a priest. Okay. That's perfect. That is perfect. It it actually turned out to be really popular. People really love it. Um, so anyhow, it uh, it became very important for us. 
And then we noticed, I think, last year that uh, two, two other NPSL clubs, Minneapolis City and Kingston Stockade, uh, and a few others, but we noticed it with the two of them um, offering this uh, out-of-town package, out-of-town uh, membership system. And we had had requests from people. Do you have something for out-of-towners? And we're like, no, we, we hadn't done anything. And then they, uh, we learned from these partner clubs, and then we came up with this one. And it's, uh, it started off slow, but uh, I, think, uh, I think we're probably going to get a lot more uh, a lot more people in that group because we have a lot of a lot of people ordering from um, merchandise from all over the country. Yep. You know, Duluth is actually a yeah. I mean, it's a small it's a small community, but there are there are Duluthians everywhere. Yep. I mean, when in 2018 when we were in the national semifinal and we we went to play Miami FC, we were surprised at how many Duluthians drove three four hours from other parts of Florida to come and watch the match and support yep. us. And it was fantastic. I mean, we, we didn't have anybody flying from here except mm -hmm. for staffers along with the team. Mm -hmm. But we had, we had supporters in the stands. We've played, uh, you know, two, three years uh, in a row in, uh, in Michigan for playoffs. We had supporters there, Duluthians. So I think this uh, out-of-towners component will, and we're looking at possibly kind of doing something a little bit different with that as well. But you're right, the tickets, obviously, you know, somebody out of town is not going to use the tickets. But um, uh, so far, we, uh, we've had a good relationship with the Valley Youth Center. It's, a, mm. it's an after-school youth center serving an area of Duluth where there's a lot of need. And uh, they've been doing fabulous work for decades. And I used to volunteer there just for my own Mm -hmm. need to to help and to be useful and uh, I know the program director and it worked out really well for uh, for a lot of young kids there yeah and they have a lot of fun and they run around and it's great yeah and that's the point I try to get across you know if you have the means it, it's such a simple way you know you're, you're clicking a button you know you're investing a little bit but it's such a simple way to both help support that club and in turn help support that community as well. I mean, not only are, are you guys, you know, obviously getting the benefits from it, but then these kids at this youth center, they're, you know, getting to go to a soccer match and get experience that and get, maybe get inspired. And that is right. so, so incredibly cool how just one little thing can turn into such a huge, huge positive. You know, speaking of that, if you'll allow me to share this story, we, um, it was last year or the year before, I can't remember when, but uh, they, um, they decided to, to pool uh, tickets together for a couple of different matches uh, rather than give them out because um, we let them distribute them to the kids. We don't, of course, we don't pick the kids. We just give them to the, to the youth center. And so uh, one, of the, one of the directors came with a, with a, I don't know, I don't even know how many kids, you know, they had vans of kids that came over there and they were all running around and I went to say hi and so on and so forth. And there were boys and girls and having fun and talking and they were, they were so excited. And um, um, I asked some of the kids, hey, you guys play soccer? Yeah, yeah, we play soccer. Okay, great. Um, do, do you think you want to play like these guys one day in about 15, 20 years? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And then there was one little kid who said, 
I want to be a ball kid. Can I please be a ball <laughs> kid? I just, he wanted to be a ball kid. And I thought, absolutely. That's now, he awesome. was a little, I can't remember how old he was, but um, the NPSL has, uh, you have to be minimum 10 years of age. So mm-hmm. he was so little, we couldn't let him out on the, you know, pitch side because, you know, God forbid a ball hits a yeah, kid. Yeah, of course. Kid, no one injuries. But uh, you go, you know what? Yeah, in a couple of years, you can be a, you can be a ball kid. That's amazing. And, and, and that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then after that, I was speaking with my friend, the director of, uh, of the BYC, and he was saying, you go, look, so our tickets, you know, a full regular, regular match ticket is 10 bucks. So mm-hmm. it's not outrageously expensive. And for kids, it's less, actually. But he said, you know, um, almost all of the kids that, that I brought today would not have been able to afford mm-hmm. um, to afford a ticket. Yeah. And it, it's tough, you know, because just a, a few moments earlier, a few moments earlier, um, you were encouraging people to go out and spend $75, $75 right, for, for a disciples membership just because they can, right? Mm-hmm. And there are many people in our society, in our communities, who can afford $75 a year to support a club far away mm-hmm. and maybe tickets to a, to a little kid. But we oftentimes forget that there are people right next door to us who can't afford a, a $10 game, yep. you know, game ticket. And of course, when, uh, when we can serve in ways that we didn't expect, it's even better. Yeah, I mean, when we can serve our communities, but also specifically serve the youth in our communities. Yes. And even more specifically, the youth who may not have the, you know, the resources that, mm-hmm. that, that some of us have, you know, it's, it's super important to, to take the time to do that. And like I said, it's simple as clicking a button and investing a little bit of money if you have the means mm-hmm. uh, can, go, can go a long way, for sure. Absolutely. Tim, uh, this interview has been amazing. Man, I, I appreciate the time so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It was great to uh, to see you and to speak with you and look for and listen. You come up, uh, you come up here to visit Duluth. Give me a, give me a shout. We'll grab a beer. Like I said, the girlfriend's family is from Duluth, so we're up there quite a bit. So I'll, I'll uh, awesome. I will definitely uh, I'll definitely drop you a line next time I'm there. Perfect. All right. Take so care, it's Tim, my friend. of course, Tim Sass, general manager of Duluth FC. Follow Duluth FC on all the social medias. They're on Twitter at Duluth FC. Um, if you want to follow the esports club specifically at DFC underscore esports, and if you want to watch the esports club in the ENPSL, it's Duluth or excuse me, twitch.tv slash Duluth FC esports. Tim, once again, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you.